Hey everyone, Rachel Schwartzman here. While I'm sure we're all ready to slow down and unplug for the holidays, I'm so thankful you're spending a few minutes with us for the last 2018 episode of Slow Stories. Before we share our final interview of the year with today's featured guest, hear from Isadora Salas from Everlane, who shares how a poem she found mid-scroll inspired her to slow down and reconnect with herself and identity as a woman. My name is Isadora. I am a social editor and I currently lead Everlane's social strategy. Something that recently made me slow down and stop scrolling was a poem by Nikita Gill titled, You Aren't Like Most Girls. And I was really drawn into this particular writing because I feel like women have always been placed in this tough position of having to choose between these strange narratives of basic or rather simple and unique and special. And I mean, really neither one of them is real. Not one woman in the world subscribes wholly to either of those ideals. But on top of that, we're made to feel like we have to, like we have to fight one another for those titles. And that womanhood is almost like some strange apocalyptic battle in which there can only be one winner and she's the only one who will really get to have it all a phrase that is also irritating, but held up to women to aspire to. And I think the beauty of social media is how exposed I've been to so many different types of people, women especially, and how even if I've never met them, they've added immense value to my life, both professionally, but more importantly, personally. I highly encourage everyone to check out Nikita Gill. The poem is short, so I will close with a reading of it. How dare you tell me I am not like most girls when those girls you refer to are my sisters and mothers, my friends, the very solace and the kindness I have sought when the worst things in my life have happened. How dare you assume I should take that as a compliment and beam at you like it is praise when you are alienating me from the very core of my proudly female being. There are a thousand ways to tell me you love me and making my sisters small to make me big isn't one of them. Tell me you love me, but not because I am different. Tell me you love me just because you do. So that's the poem. Uh, I hope you can check out Nikita Gill. She inspires me daily through her Instagram, and I hope you can be inspired as well. Thanks. Thanks so much to Isadora for sharing the perfect story to open today's interview. Again, the poem she referenced is by Nikita Gill and can be found in our show notes. Now, on to my interview with the incredible Fran Hauser. The business world is changing for the better thanks to visionaries like Fran Hauser. The longtime media executive has seen the storytelling and content landscape evolve drastically throughout the course of her career. In a nutshell, Fran has held senior roles at iconic digital media businesses, including Time Inc. and AOL. But as Fran evolved her career into advising and investing in mostly women-led startups while also taking into account her past experiences at work, she identified a singular problem that most modern professional women face. How do you own your niceness in the workplace? Enter her new book, The Myth of the Nice Girl, which I personally dub as a truly modern guidebook for women looking to master the delicate balance of niceness and strength. This topic is obviously something that warrants a series of conversations, but in the case of this interview, I spoke with Fran about her experiences in writing the book, 
the importance of building sustainable relationships, and why slowing down our relationship to content ultimately makes us nicer all around. Without giving too much away, here's my conversation with Fran Hauser. Thank you for having me. Um, so in, in terms of my career, just, just briefly, I spent many years in media. So this topic of slow content is something that is very near and dear. Um, I spent most of my time really, uh, you know, as part of the digital transformation of legacy brands like People in Style, Entertainment Weekly. Um, I was president of digital at Time Inc. So focused a lot of my time on thinking about how does that content um, get translated into into digital products and experiences. Um, I left Time Inc. about five years ago um, and went to work uh, for myself as a startup investor. So that's what I've been doing for the last five years. Um, I have 20 companies in my portfolio, all consumer, mostly tech. 18 of them are female founded, which is something I'm extremely proud of. And, um, and the other big thing that's happened is I published my first book in April of this year called The Myth of the Nice Girl which is all about how you don't have to choose between being nice and being strong when you lead. Um, and that in fact, I believe the most effective leaders lead with both. Um, so I've, you know, been on a book tour the last seven months. It's been really exciting to see how the book has resonated, um, with, with so many women and actually men too, (laughs) but mostly women. Um, and yeah, and so that that brings us to today. So I'm I'm really excited to be here. Amazing. I just love, you know, I think with resources like the myth of the nice girl that we're kind of moving towards a shift in a more um, conscious and sustainably minded business landscape. Um, so I think it's a really important book and conversation, especially given the climate we're in. And for me personally, it's been such a such a gem uh, because I definitely identify as being a nice girl um, while also kind of you know figuring out the landscape of being a, a female entrepreneur um, and I think what I've found to be a challenge and I'm sure other women listening will identify with this is that it's very easy for women to get caught up in the extremely fast-paced professional landscape and the expectations of almost performing and kind of playing the game of what it means to be a girl boss or a modern female founder in 2018. So when you hear the term slow down, especially looking back at this year and all the conversations you've had on your book tour and, you know, in other interviews, what does that mean to you now? Mm. So slowing down to me means creating space for people that I want to spend more time with. Um, and for activities that are good for me, you know, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, um, you know, moving from working in a big job at Time Inc. to working for myself and being able to choose the projects I work on is such a gift. Um, you know, I love that I don't need to commute into the city every day, right? That's huge. Like I go in one or two days a week to do meetings and and to do talks. Um, But the rest of of the week, I can work from from my house, which is incredible, which also gives me, you know, more time with my my boys. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, 
I, I just finished my book tour literally a few days ago. Boston was my last stop. And, you know, I took the the train home. I took Amtrak home from, from Boston um, the other night. And I can't even tell you, like, it was just the most amazing feeling. Like, I just, I felt like I could truly exhale for the first time in like seven months um, that I, that I've been on, on the tour. And, and I, I find, and I, I'm already seeing this over the last few days that when we slow down, we create bandwidth. So like now that the book tour is over, like I already have like such great ideas popping into my head, you know, and it's just, it's so fun to kind of let them percolate. Um, it's just, it's hard for creativity to happen and to be inspired when your brain is full. And so like right now, it's just, I can't be talking to you seriously at a better time. Um, because it's, it's, it's exactly how I'm feeling like going into the holidays. Um, you know, the, the idea of just spending more time with my family and like being really being present for them and, and, and enjoying them, um, is something that I'm so extremely excited about. And also just like letting, letting ideas percolate that could actually become product services, businesses, um, you know, that I could really think more about kind of as we get past the holidays and we start the new year. When we slow down, we have the ability to be more present, to be more mindful, um, to actually even be kinder to ourselves, you know, to cut ourselves a little bit more slack. Um, and I, and I also feel like one of the things that's really happened with the internet and social media is that it's created FOMO in like in a really big way, you know, where so many of us have this like fear of missing out. Like if I don't go to that party or if I don't go to that networking event, um, you know, what, what's going to happen. And, and I just, I, I believe that when we, when we, when we slow down, um, we sort of increase the comfort level that we have around just being as opposed to doing. And there's something that's just so wonderful and so powerful about that. And I, I, and when we feel that it, it kind of transcend transcends into every part of our life and, and every person, human being, you know, that, that we, that we touch and come across with. So, um, so I, I do think it's just, it's, it's a wonderful thing for, for everyone to do. I mean, you were just saying that you were away and you actually put the out of office on. We should all like do that. We should have those moments where we take those breaks. Um, because I'm sure that you probably feel so much better prepared to kind of handle anything that comes your way now. Totally. Yeah. I really do. Um, but I think, you know, I'm still relatively very early on in my career. And I think only this year I've given myself the permission to do things like that. And I think that just comes with experience and, and that's okay. And, you know, you also mentioned in the book that as you were kind of learning to find the balance between being nice and being strong, and I guess being kind to yourself, that it was a gradual process. Um, so I'm wondering, why do you think that this particular slow process is worth the wait? It's something that really can't be rushed. Somebody, I think it was actually my coach. Um, I had this wonderful executive coach for years, especially when I was at Time Inc. And um, she said something to me once. She said, uh, it takes a, a lifetime to 
to bring you wisdom. Um, I love that. And I, I, I think that's true. It's like, you know, you, you, you do, it's, you do need to have experiences, um, and stories. I mean, I know that that's your whole thing, right? Is storytelling, but you know, I, I think about very early on in my career and I actually share the story in the first chapter of the book where I was given really bad advice from a mentor. I was in a situation where I, I needed to get something done and I, I needed this, this woman, Jane, I needed her help, um, to get it done. And the, my mentor basically said, look, she's not going to, she's not going to be able to help you. She's really slow. Um, you need to go over her head. And I went over her head. Um, and I ended up getting the win in the short term, but I damaged my relationship with her. And from a long-term perspective, not smart, right? Because what, what you realize is that being successful in business is all about relationships. And also what I didn't love is that I wasn't myself. Like I am the nice girl. I am usually the one who's compassionate and empathetic. Um, and when I followed this advice to take on like a little bit more of a, of a tough, you know, tougher persona, it just wasn't me. And I ended up apologizing to Jane. I took her out to lunch and, um, you know, I, I profusely apologized and let her know that that would never happen again. Um, and I really got to know her on a personal level and I wouldn't say that like we ever became best friends, but I was able to repair the relationship um, in a way that you know that that it it, it at least could be a, a productive one and a and a civil one. Um, and it it took that experience to kind of prove to me that you know it's really important to be yourself and to really bring your bring yourself to work and not not take on um, a persona of like someone that you're not because at the, at the end of the day, it's just, it's not going to be, it's not going to be helpful um, or productive. So, you know, in the book, I share so many experiences like that, that I've had along my professional journey that, um, that, you know, basically just have, have really made me who I am today and given me the conf- confidence to know that when you bring authenticity to work and you, you don't check qualities like kindness and compassion at the door that, that you will actually be so much more successful. Um, but you're right. It, it takes those, it takes those experiences. And when you're very early on in your career, um, it's really helpful to surround yourself with a community of people that have had experiences, um, and, can, can mentor you, can champion you, can sponsor you, you know, whatever word you want to use, um, Mm -hmm. because you haven't had those experiences yet, right. For yourself. So being able to rely on other people. Um, and for me, for the most part, I've had incredible mentors. That was an example where I got really bad advice, but, but for the most part, I've had amazing mentors and, and champions. Um, you know, I would even think about, you know, my executive coach who worked with me for seven years, she was an incredible mentor to me. So don't be afraid to let other people in, you know, and, and, and ask the hard questions. And there, there is no such thing as a stupid question. Mm -mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you know, it's scary to put yourself out there in that way. But once you find the people that you can really build long-term sustainable relationships with, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. Um, And on, you know, you also talk a lot about 
sustainability as it relates to developing relationships. So I'm curious to know like how you would define a sustainable relationship. Yeah. So, so sustainable relationship is based on trust. I mean, really that, that is the single most important thing. Um, and for me, like I found that being nice and, and being empathetic and being compassionate and bringing all of those things to work. Um, it just, it, it, it encourages people, you know, to trust you basically it fosters trust. Um, and when you have trust, you can then connect with someone, you know, on a, on a deeper, deeper level. Um, the other thing that I would say that a sustainable relationship is based on actually is vulnerability. And I think that this is really important because, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a position where you meet someone and you're having a conversation with them and it just feels like really superficial, you know, like everything is perfect. Everything is great. Um, versus like when you get, when you're in a conversation and you get real and the person opens up to you and shares something that they're really struggling with, um, it, it allows you to connect in such a deeper, in such a deeper way. Um, so I really believe that a sustainable relationship is, is, is based on both of those things. It's based on trust and it's based on vulnerability. And, um, you know, whether you're talking about relationships with people at work, whether you're talking about even, you know, my relationship with readers of, of the book. I mean, what, one of the things I've heard so much from readers is that the book was so relatable to them because I shared so many learning moments and so many failures. Um, that's vulnerability, right? And, and, and it, it, it made, it just, it made the whole book and the mindset and all of that just, just really relatable for people. Um, I think a, another part of this is, you know, if you want to connect and build a strong relationship with your, with your customer, um, it also goes back to authenticity and trust and vulnerability. So, you know, whether you're talking about connecting with people at work, connecting with customers, connecting with readers, um, I, I think it's, it's all kind of, it's all kind of the same thing. You know, it just, it goes back to those kind of basic principles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the rapid growth of social media and content and tech has really enabled people to be a little bit more forthcoming and vulnerable about their experiences than they might um, not have been in the past. And kind of switching gears into more of the business and content side of our conversation. Um, the impetus for me for starting this podcast kind of came about when I recognized a struggle that a lot of our clients were facing when, when kind of finding the balance of publishing content frequently um, that was still honest and of quality and substance. And I'm sure that's true for a ton of modern, you know, entrepreneurs and brands today. And I think that's really what is kind of bringing uh, conversations about, you know, what we're calling the slow content movement to the forefront. And so, you know, you mentioned that intrinsically, that idea was very important to you in, in your career. Um, and what does that idea mean to you now? You know, look, in, in some ways, it makes me so sad to see what's happened to the quality of content. I mean, when I 
when I started in media 15 years ago, you know, there were two sources for every story, you know, everything was fact checked. Um, And then with the internet and search engine optimization, we moved as an industry to pushing out a ton of content quickly, which is what you alluded to before. And the quality, you know, of a lot of the content is just not as good, right? We're, we're also drowning in content now that everyone has their own publishing platform with social media. So I do believe that there's a yearning for slower content, you know, for content that's well-researched and fact-checked and delivered with quality. I actually, I did an interview a few months back with Westchester magazine, with a, you know, a local, local magazine. And it made me so happy that they actually called me last week to fact check everything. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) So like, it just was so refreshing to see that. Um, And, you know, look, I think writing the myth of the nice girl is, it's just, it's a great example of, of slow content for me personally, right? It was 60,000 words, um, that book. And, you know, it, it involved a lot of interviewing. It involved, um, a lot of research, both syndicated research and original research that we did for the book. Um, and it goes back to like what readers, you know, have, have told me that, the, and the way that I opened up about my own personal failures and how relatable that made the book. Like it, it really improved the quality, the quality of the book. Um, right. So it's like, it's all, so like for me on a personal level, I just, it, in my own career, it is kind of interesting because when I started in media, I would say it was really all about slow content. And then we moved into internet driven content, you know, content farms, a lot of content being pushed out $30 a post, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and now like where I am right now is like, wow, like I just went through like producing, you know, um, this, this, this book that, that at the end of the day, you know, it's been, it was two, two years of my time went into it. Um, so it's, it's been really wonderful. I have to say it's, it's, it's been wonderful. And I do think in general, I do, I really do believe this. I see it with my friends. I see it with my colleagues. Um, I do think that there's a craving for for slower content, which is which is a good thing all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just something that anybody listening can take as a form of feedback um, from someone who's seen the landscape shift so drastically. And speaking of feedback, you know, I love that you spoke more candidly about how hard that can be. Um, and how feedback and having harder conversations in person ultimately leads to more authentic interactions. So despite us being in a digital first world, how do you think, you know, modern content creators or marketers can take this same idea and um, create content that really inspires authenticity? Mm. Well, you know, so being authentic as a marketer, starts with clearly understanding your values as a brand. If you don't know your values, it's hard to be authentic. And I think a lot about um, the campaign that Nike did with Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just such a great example of this. You know, Nike's values are all about never giving up um, and, and sacrificing for the greater good and really serving a purpose. 
And I think it's okay to be polarizing if you're being authentic, which is what they did, right? Um, That campaign further cemented Nike's relationship with their with their loyal customers. So um, I just think that's such a, a, such a great example of knowing your values, being authentic, you know, aligning yourself with um, a public figure who, who is, you know, clearly on the same page, um, knowing that this is going to be polarizing and you're, you're going to piss some people off, but those people may not have been your customers anyway. Um, right. So I, I just, I thought it was such a bold, move on their part and it was just executed so so brilliantly likewise and i think to really kind of dig into those values you have to to ask yourself and your team some of the harder questions to get to the core of that um and i'm sure that's something you were doing throughout the process of writing the book and you know obviously on uh your book tour being you know around so many people who I'm sure wanted to, to understand more of the motivation behind this whole journey for you. Um, but I'm wondering, is there a particular question that you wish people would ask you, would have asked you more often? That's such a good question, by the way. Um, so a question that I, that I wish more people had asked is around company culture and whether the book has had an impact on culture um, in addition to having an impact on individual women, if that makes sense. Because I wrote the book, obviously for women, right? I wrote the, I wrote the book for women like, like you, right? Who are looking to bring their authentic selves to work um, and still be really successful. And, um, the one thing that I wasn't really kind of anticipating was the effect that the book would have on CEOs that are running companies and that are thinking about culture and are thinking about, you know, how do they make their, their culture, you know, more inclusive, more transparent, more empathetic. So what's been really amazing is to see how many CEOs have reached out to have me come in to speak to their teams about these topics because, um, they are looking to make these changes with their, with their culture. So to me, it's so right. Like, and and it gives me so much hope, especially given everything that we've been through over the last few years, um, with me, the me too movement and with everything going on, you know, with politics and, um, that it's just so reassuring and wonderful to see that CEOs are looking, um, to change to change their cultures, and they're they're using topics that I cover in the book um, as a way to facilitate that. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, that alone could be a whole other follow up book for you, right? It's true. Um, That's I'm thinking about that, Rachel. I know it's. I really wasn't in, I wasn't anticipating that part of it because I was so focused on you know as a, as a good marketer, right? I knew I, I was thinking very clearly about who the reader is. Um, and you know, the person that I was picturing in my mind is a woman who is transitioning from individual contributor to managing a team. Um, Mm. that was really the sweet spot for me. And the book has a much broader appeal and they're college students that are getting a lot out of the book and there are women in their fifties that are getting a lot out of of the book. But that's really who I was 
picturing. And I, I wasn't thinking about the larger ramifications of the book that, that, you know, are kind of, again, more, more culture based. So yeah. So it's, it's something I'm thinking, thinking a lot about, which is fun. Yeah. That's so exciting. And I could easily see it becoming, you know, offline conversations like this. Um, because again, I think the book, one of the biggest things about it for me is that it, it ultimately just gives women permission to be who they are mm. um, in a world that's constantly trying to define what we should be, even yeah. in business. Too. So, well, it's, you, know. you know, and thank you for saying that. And it's, it's, um, it was really interesting for me when we were working on the cover for the book, I, I went into bookstores and I just looked at um, bookshelves. You know, I, I looked at business books targeted at women. And mm -hmm. the one common theme that I found was that I felt that a, a lot of the books were, um, were not doing that. They, they weren't giving women permission to just bring themselves to work. You know, they, they're, they're all about sort of how to become somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it was, it was really the moment that I realized like, oh, wow, this book is really different. So it makes me happy to hear that, that you, that you realize that as well. You know, there's so many other questions that I think we could dive into, but for the purposes of this conversation, um, I'd love to kind of wrap it up with one final question that's become pretty central to our conversations. And it's, why do you think content will ultimately help us live, work, and feel better, especially when we slow down our uh, relationship to it. So, you know, we, we live in a world where we have multiple tabs open in our brain at, at all time, it sounds like, or it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just not good for us. You know, sl slowing down our relationship to content makes us more mindful and it makes us more present for the people that we love. Um, so, you know, I guess you can say it makes us nicer too, because we're better able to empathize and actively listen when we're engaged in, in a, a conversation. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's actually, it's, it's a really important, it's a really important concept to think about um, to be aware of and and boy like I, I would really love I would really love to see this be more of a movement especially as we enter into 2019 well thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this and where can we find you online thanks for having me Rachel um, so my website is franhauser.com and on Instagram and Twitter I'm Fran underscore Hauser. Amazing. Well, thank you so much and happy thank holidays. You. Happy holidays.